Thank you so much. I'm really delighted and honored to be here today. And I know this is the very last talk of the session, um, but I appreciate everybody staying because I think this is a great topic and it's a topic that we don't discuss much. And I think it's really easy to get cynical and depressed when we hear the talks of this morning, although they were fantastic talks, we hear about all of the problems that pouches, um, that pouches can have. And we might ask ourselves, why do we even offer this operation? It's hard to do. Um, it's a lot to take care of the patients, and the complications are very difficult to take care of, and we take those very personal. But I think, although I would never speak for all of us, I do think we would agree that we all believe in quality of life. We are doing this because we want a great quality of life for our patients. And when I think about quality of life for my patients with colitis or who are facing the idea of pouch surgery, I think about these things. I think about bowel function and the ability to go out to dinner with their family and friends without running, up, running to the bathroom or not having to know where all the bathrooms are at work or being able to hold a job. But I also remind myself, that quality of life is defined differently by everybody. So the things that I would hold as most importantly on this list, you might not. And, and that goes for our patients. Our patients might agree that all these things are very important, but they might hold different um, portions of these or different numbers of these in different, um, different regard. And although we commonly... Um, talk to patients about bowel function and, and uh, ability to eat and ability to hold down a job because those, those are the acute issues facing us at the time of surgery. What I really want to talk about is two components of this that I think we don't talk about enough, and I know I'm guilty of this, which is sexual function and fertility. Because, because if they don't uh, ask about it, they're wondering about it. They're wondering what effect surgery is going to have on their sexuality and their sexual function, their ability to conceive, their, their ability to get their wife or partner pregnant. And we're wondering that too. Are these issues real? How do we counsel our patients? They're looking to us to help them make really important decisions and uh, how do we consider these issues when we make recommendations as far as how to go forward with surgery? Because if you think about our patients, in large part, they're young patients. They're starting life. They're having families. They want children. And these are very, very important components to their quality of life, just as much as bowel function. And we don't want to forget our more mature patients that may not be facing fertility issues, but they really would hold sexual function in high regard, I think, more so than maybe we would give them credit for. And none of our patients would have to choose between components of quality of life. I believe that we should really work hard and make really thoughtful decisions so that they um, obtain and achieve the quality of life that they want um, not just one or the other. And so I think what really makes it very difficult to counsel patients and to know what to do is because the literature that we have, albeit very interesting, we just don't have a lot of it. And one of the problems is because it's hard to define these um, items, sexual dysfunction and fertility, even though these are pretty um, accepted definitions in the sexual health literature, I can tell you from reviewing it, there's a lot of debate. And so it's hard to study something when it's really hard to define it. And so the literature um, that we rely on is difficult to interpret sometimes because there's a lot of bias. It's primarily retrospective. There are a lot of questionnaires or telephone interviews that are done. Um, there is um, 
Um, there's a selection bias in the, in the patients who respond or participate, and maybe even a publication bias um, when um, studies um, aren't showing a significant difference in stuff. Do those get published or do those get paid attention to? And it's hard to define even in the general population. And in the general population, sexual dysfunction is a big deal. 30% of men and 40% of women will report some form of sexual dysfunction. Again, hard to define and very subjective among um, people who are responding to these. And our IBD patients have additional concerns and risk factors, medications that may, they may be on uh, that relate to their IBD or not, like opiates or antidepressants can affect their sexual function. And then after surgery, this is what we all debate and think about. What do we contribute to this? Um, We think that there is a component of autonomic nerve damage and pelvic scarring that contribute to sexual health or sexual dysfunction in these patients. And in men, we usually talk about erectile dysfunction and retrograde ejaculation. And in women, vaginal dryness and dyspareunia are big deals for these women. Um, I wanted to just highlight a few studies um, that I think are really interesting and really do contribute to what we know and what we can counsel our patients. Now, this is a study that's a prospective study comparing pre- and post-op sexual functions in patients who are undergoing pouch surgery, 33 male and 26 female. And they measured sexual function with a validated scale, one for men and one for women that have multiple components and are are fairly well established in the literature with regard to this topic that, um, for example, um, include more than just erectile, erectile function for men. And the results were interesting because um, they, re- they report that men um, report very high sexual health scores before and after surgery, so there really don't seem to be a difference before surgery or after surgery, whereas females report fairly low sexual health. There are a lot of sexual dysfunction before surgery, but then that recovers about 12 months after surgery. And the reasons why they may be are, are hypothesized, but um, overall it's thought that um, a pouch does not negatively affect sexual function in this study. This, I have to say, I really thought, I really enjoyed this film. I mean, this is very, a very creative study that I um, have to say that I didn't know um, back in 2010. I didn't know about this, but this is a very interesting study um, measuring sexual stimulation in women by measuring vaginal vasocongestion. And eight of these patients were followed that gave pre- and post-op data, which is really interesting. Um, they also um, included <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, they also included um, a female sexual uh, function index, another the validated scale that I just referred to. And the results were that there is a reduction in vaginal vasocongestion during sexual stimulation after pouch surgery, but this didn't quite translate over into sort of the subjective reporting of sexual dysfunction. But I thought this was a very, very creative study um, that lended a lot of um, uh, interesting data to our discussion today. Uh, And um, equally important, um, Feza, but maybe not as creative, was, (laughs) you get credit though, um, on the on the male side, looking at erectile function and, and specifically looking at gender issues, studying erectile function after pouch um, surgery, 122 males measuring the validated scoring system or the index system, showing that patients, male patients, typically maintain their ability to um, achieve erection after um, pouch surgery, and there doesn't seem to be an effect. Um, based on anastomotic technique or sepsis. And I just wanted to highlight that older age had a negative effect 
on erectile function, just like older age has a negative effect on fertility in, in female patients. And that's the most, I think, um, telling thing uh, when we talk about fertility that we'll talk about. So, um, And then finally, um, are there technical things that we do in the operating room that might affect sexual health? And I just wanted to highlight um, three things. In general, um, does creating a poor pouch affect sexual health? Well, it may correlate at least in women, and you could sort of hypothesize why if there's better you know, poor bowel function or not feeling very well, um, that may affect sexual health, but it didn't seem to affect the, the male patients in this uh, group. Um, does intramesorectal dissection versus a TME make a difference? The thought is that an intramesorectal excision would stay away from nerves um, that tend to play a role in sexual health, and this was not a significant finding, at least. And then um, type of anastomosis, hand-sewn versus stapled pouch, doesn't seem to have an effect, although there was a trend toward um, uh, better sexual health in the hand-sewn group. It wasn't statistically significant. So I wanted to go on to fertility um, and pouch. And um, does anybody get my picture, the pouch? Thanks. At least one person does. Thank you, Stephen. I am not creative as Willem, but um, I thought that was a creative picture. So um, I just wanted to hit this, um, and I know this, I found this to be a very broad topic, and I wanted to highlight sort of the controversial things and and to help us to know how to um, treat our patients and how to uh, go forward at the end of our talk. So when you look at all the literature about fertility after a pouch surgery, there is a very wide variety of studies. A lot of these are retrospective. A lot of these vary as far as how they collected data, how many patients were included, what the response rate was. And um, there are a lot of meta-analyses for these. But in general, the findings are pretty consistent that fertility decreases after pouch surgery. And this is across the board. And there are some studies that would um, disagree with that and say maybe there's no difference. But I would say, in general, it's thought that fertility decreases, decreases sometimes by 50% after pouch surgery. And the thought is, why, why does that happen? Well, I think... Overall, we don't know, but I think in general, the accepted thought is that it's a problem with getting pregnant, not staying pregnant, and this is due to pelvic adhesions after pelvic dissection or pelvic surgery. So thought to be related to fallopian tube scarring or kinking. When you study these patients who are having trouble getting pregnant after pelvic surgery, they almost always have fallopian tube problems, or certainly a large majority of them do. What are the things that we learn from this? How can we approach our patients to preserve fertility or at least increase the chances of patients getting pregnant or the timing of surgery around that time? Can you advance for me? Uh, Back one. Oh, okay. So this is just a, a photo from a recent case um, showing this is a, a young female patient. Um, this is through a fan and still incision that she had, and we've delivered the pouch down so you can sort of see the, the pouch um, there in the pelvis. But she has a, a healthy uterus, nice fallopian tubes and ovaries, and we want to keep those fallopian tubes straight. She particularly had had a child and didn't know whether she wanted to have another child, but we want to give her that option in the future um, when she makes that decision of getting pregnant and staying pregnant. And um, I I will talk about measures to 
improve um, or increase that or not. But here we did perform a, a pexy of the ovaries um, to the sad wall to keep the fallopian tube straight. I, did, I will mention now so I don't forget um, in the, um, later on in the talk that there is a thought that this makes it harder to harvest eggs for IVF. And um, so it's a give and take, but this is what we did for her to keep the pelvic scarring from kinking her fallopian tubes or causing a problem with um, egg transit. I wanted to show you some of the systematic analyses or the meta-analyses that um, show us that um, infertility does increase after pouch surgery. This is of seven studies of nearly 1,000 patients where infertility after pouch um, surgery doubled. Um, We've learned a lot from timing of surgery, particularly from the FAP population or from patients who have undergone ileorectal anastomoses, and we don't see this significant increase in infertility in those patients. And so it brings up the idea that I know a lot of us sometimes practice of preventing or um, um, prolong or postponing pelvic surgery until after um, uh, uh, fertility issues are dealt with or um, patients have babies. And so in the FAP population, there is no difference in fertility uh, issues, but we certainly uh, want to offer this as an option for patients who have colitis is to delay pelvic surgery until um, uh, all the pregnancy uh, uh, that they want are are complete. Um, This is another study showing that fertility, infertility increases after um, pouch surgery. But interestingly, um, when we look at the risk factors for this, there really were no preoperative factors that could be found, and the only intraoperative factor was need for blood transfusion, which may sort of... um, really highlight probably um, the need for a a more difficult pelvic dissection, which may have an effect on um, scar tissue. Um, But the infertility rate's higher, of course, in um, patients who are older, and so that's where age comes into play as an important component in decisions regarding fertility in patients. Excuse me. So we think fertility is lower after pouch surgery. So how do we interpret all these uh, results and data? How do we talk to our patients when we are still figuring it all out ourselves? So I, in general, approach this um, with um, all of my patients, particularly my female patients, that fertility decreases, we think. Um, We have measures that we can utilize to hopefully preserve this. For example, staged operations or postponing pelvic surgery until after fertility um, is um, is addressed. Um, I commonly will um, uh, make early referrals to fertility specialists if patients have a desire or if I think a patient would benefit from a discussion and I have a close relationship with a reproductive, re- reproductive specialist in my hospital so they understand the operation. Um, I commonly will do a colectomy with ileostomy as a first step because I do believe that the disease dictates the need for surgery and colitis. So I have a lot of patients who are trying to delay surgery because of things like fertility. They don't want to deal with that or they don't want an ileostomy, and I understand that. But um, the um, result of that is that they get sicker and sicker, and I don't want that. So I want to give them options for treating their disease but also maintaining those components of quality of life that they really um, hold uh, in great um, 
in high esteem are, are, are very important to them. And then I want to talk about minimally invasive surgery because at, at one point during all this and all the studies, we didn't have that. And what we found is if adhesions in the pelvis are what are causing fertility issues, we know from studying that laparoscopic surgery sometimes can reduce those adhesion uh, formation. And these are two studies that show that laparoscopic pouch surgery did decrease adhesion formation, particularly adnexal scarring that may contribute to um, difficulty with fallopian tube patency. And so, you know, we said, well, should we do all these pouches laparoscopically? And that's a whole different debate, as we've um, sort of touched on this morning. But um, this is a very nice multi-center study showing the relationship of performing laparoscopic pouch surgery with fertility. And 160 patients were questioned by questionnaire. About a third of them attempted to conceive um, after pouch surgery. And um, there was a higher pregnancy rate in the patients who did go under, undergo laparoscopic pouch surgery. So it is a consideration, I think, for um, patients who desire pregnancy. But again, as we have touched on um, all day, all conference, and particularly today, um, it's a tool that we can use, um, and uh, we have to be skilled in that and make good decisions with regard to creation of the pouch particularly so. This is just a photo of um, pexing the ovary to the sidewall, making sure the fallopian tube is, is quite straight. And uh, again, it's not a carry the pregnancy problem, it's a get pregnant problem. And um, weighing the benefit uh, versus the risk of doing this um, in regards to uh, IVS or egg harvest, and I think that that's an important component. And then to, um, I just wanted to briefly mention, um, when our patients get pregnant, does that mean we're finished? Um, I would say no, because um, pouch function can really um, decline during pregnancy, and the patients get very worried. Is this going to persist? And we can um, we can remind them and reassure them that, in general, pouch function, if they if it work, worsens during pregnancy, particularly in the third trimester, it will get better after delivery. And then, how do we recommend patients to deliver? And I thought this was a really interesting study showing um, how we make that decision. This was a, su a survey of attitudes and beliefs regarding fertility and delivery method uh, for pouch patients. Uh, clinical and vignettes were um, sent to uh, different providers and different subspecialties. And I just wanted to really take one minute. I know I'm running out of time, but... Um, is that okay? This is actually really interesting. Um, so the results that, so with regard to fertility reduction after pouch surgery, a gastroenterologist would quote a 20% reduction to patients, um, and the obstetricians quote an 11% reduction. With regard to delaying pouch surgery until after pregnancy, gastroenterologists would recommend that about 67% of them would recommend, versus only 45% of colorectal surgeons. There was a note in this that it, well, there was a, a trend toward the younger surgeons would be more likely to recommend this than older surgeons. Uh, with regard to vaginal delivery being okay in pouch patients, 43% of the gastroenterologists said it would be okay, versus 20% of colorectal surgeons and 57% of obstetricians. And then um, who should decide, you know, effectively? Should the obstetricians decide? And uh, about 60% of them said, yes, we should decide. And 28% said uh, the colorectal surgeons should decide. And interestingly, the patients, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, said, we want a lot of input. We want a lot of people sort of deciding what's the right thing to do. Is. So I thought that was a, a really uh, interesting take on that. So I'll go through this very quickly. 
Uh, which method is best? There was a lot of debate. There were some studies showing that there's no difference. These were primarily done by a questionnaire or asking patients retrospectively. Um, this study, as well as this one, recommends uh, there, there's no need to sort of consider the pouch in this. It's more considerate of uh, what the obstetrician or the obstetric needs. Um, this is a mailed questionnaire showing that there was no difference in fecal incontinence or incontinence scores before and after, after pregnancy in pouch patients. So, again, um, based on obstetric need. Um, and then there was a concern about, well, maybe we're uh, being a little bit short-sighted. We're looking sort of more in the short term after surgery, but we don't know what the long-term effects would be. And as it has been told to me several times, there are so many reasons why a woman can have fecal incontinence. Why would we give them another reason? So it's just a, a thought that, you know, what do we do? Do we recommend C-section? Do we recommend vaginal delivery for everyone? And this is a study that was done showing um, uh, 60 C-sections, 20 vaginal deliveries, what happens to the sphincter, and there was a significant difference in anterior sphincter defects, although there were no functional differences at the follow-up. But it does lend the question, what happens in the long term? Maybe these um, patients are okay for a short period of time, but then over time they have um, more likelihood of fecal continence, and we want to consider that in our decisions that we make as well. So... There is no set recommendation, but in my practice, and I know in a lot of your practices, I think we in general recommend C-sections. Certainly, it's up to the patient, and a lot of people have differing opinions of what their pregnancy and their delivery experience is going to be like, and that's important to consider as well. But for pouch patients who need a really strong sphincter for a lifetime, I think a C-section should be strongly recommended or at least considered. And um, we should be available to these patients. We operate on them. We take care of them. We survey the pouch. There's no reason that we can't and shouldn't be involved in their pregnancy care as well as their delivery care and help them make these decisions because we do have a perspective that maybe the obstetricians don't or even some of the gastroenterologists who don't do a lot of that. So we need more studies to show uh, what to do. So finally, the take-home points Um, The preoperative discussion is so important, the relationship with your patient to talk about these risks of surgery. I've found that if they know the risks up front, if we have problems after surgery, I think they accept it a lot better and are more willing to work with you versus if you spring it on them or if they have these sexual dysfunction effects or fertility issues after the fact and you haven't brought that up, they feel like the wool is pulled over their eyes. And I don't think that that's a good um, situation to be in for us or them. Encourage open conversations. These are really difficult topics to talk about, and I think we want to create a very safe environment for patients and family members or kick the family members out and have a really honest, heartfelt discussion with patients to understand what their goals are. Don't make assumptions about women or men, um, whether or not they desire fertility or what their ideas about sexual health or sexual function are. Um, don't su- I don't want to um, uh, superimpose what I think on them or make assumptions about what their life is like. Um, I really practice early and routine referral to fertility specialists. It never hurts to talk. I certainly don't force that, but I always give that as an option, and they always, almost always take me up on that. Um, It's also my responsibility for really young patients who aren't even really thinking about fertility to make sure that that's a consideration and an option for them if they get to that point in life. And then um, consider things that we can do intraoperative. This is an ongoing avenue of what we do. 
Is um, pexing the ovaries the right thing? Laparoscopy, anti-adhesives. We don't know. We haven't really gotten good data to show um, definitively one way or the other. Um, staged pouches, I think, are really, really a great tool. Take the colon out, get the patient better, and then um, have the patient um, um, pursue pregnancy before the pouch surgery, I think, is a very, very smart um, avenue if they'll be accepting of that. And then active involvement in delivery and pregnancy, I think, is a benefit to the patient to make ourselves available. Thank you very much.